Okay, we got ourselves another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. We are continuing to break down the draft. This time we're moving on over to the Metro Division, where I'm pleased to be joined by associate editor for Dauber Prospects. He's a New Jersey Devils fan, and he writes about the caps for Dauber Prospects. Pat Quinn. Pat, how are you doing? Good, Steve. How are you? I am fantastic. With my new microphone. Yes, we tried to record one of these before, and your microphone was not great. So we're trying it again, and your microphone's coming in fantastic. So I think people are going to be pleased with the product. Um, Steve called it his favorite podcast he ever did, and then he was heartbroken. Right, right. Um, Pat, how do you typically follow the draft? What does draft day look like for you? Um, I go out. Well, round one is I go over to my friend's house. And I think for the past 10, 15 years, we just watch it. That's quite the tradition. Yeah. Do you have a special beer or hard alcohol that that you associate with drafts? No. And I kind of stopped drinking games now because it's a little harder once you get older. Right. Yeah. Well, and how would you even have a drinking game on a Zoom draft? Just every time yeah. they go overtime, you have to drink and then you're <laughs> No, you'd be gone by like pick four this year. Yeah. It took so long this year too. Um, no, it was, you like rank all your players and then how far you're off is how many drinks you have to have. Oh my goodness. That also sounds like a trip to the emergency room. <laughs> yeah, that would have been bad for Chinakov. How many, how many times have you gotten your stomach pumped over the last <laughs> 10 years of doing this? None. Zero. I'm good at reaching my limit and being like, no more. Wow. He's got uh, guts of steel, that one. Um, I wouldn't say that. I'd just say I, I randomly, I'm so good at knowing my limit and just stopping. Mm. Like, okay, if I do any more, I will wake up in vomit. Right. And no one wants to do that. Um, <laughs> did you wake up in vomit this year at uh, the <laughs> result of the New Jersey Devils picks or were you reasonably satisfied? No, I was, uh, it's half and half in mm. my half vomit last week. Not quite. It's not, it's not even that bad. You know, teams miss a lot anyway. I've kind of grown into noticing that not every pick is going to hit, but first two picks were great. And then they took good old Shakur. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It might be Shakir, but. I am the worst at pronouncing names, just FYI to everyone listening, because I've done it for fun, just like mispronounced names for fun, and I screwed myself up for life. Yeah, you're referencing their pick at, what was that, 21, 20. Shakir, 20, Shakir Makamadulin, and yeah. it seems like they they went a little bit off the board with that, but they also didn't have a second round pick, so if you treat it like it was more of their second round pick, then it makes it probably makes a little bit more sense but at the same time you do i got this vibe like they took two forwards and they said well our defense is terrible we really <laughs> need to do something about this defense and this is the guy that they had pegged as their their top defenseman on the board and they couldn't dare risk not having him be available for them at the end of the third so instead they went out and they got them at the end of the second and they probably left a lot of value on the board but 
it seems like he's putting up numbers in the KHL. So I don't dare criticize the pick too much other than that. There was players that I really liked that they could have had. Yeah. I would have preferred another forward um, myself. Cause I think what they, who they really wanted was Schneider and then the Rangers nabbed him at 19. So I think that that threw them off. And then I'm agreeing with you and that they just kind of rushed the next pick for 20 and they're like, okay, who's a defenseman we can grab this guy. Let's do it. Yeah. So and I it... felt the same. There is still upside though. So, I mean, a lot of people are more down on it, but then at the same time, like, what do we ever know? Right. Like you could turn out to still be, I wouldn't say top pairing, but anywhere from like three to six, isn't the worst thing in the world. No, if he turns into a player that's a successful pick, I think anytime you're picking outside of the top, I don't know, 10 or so, if you land an NHL player, you've done a good job as a scouting department. That's an interesting theory that the Rangers moving up past them really screwed them up. But I wonder how much intel was out there about what the Devils wanted to do. And I'm sure a lot of teams kind of figured, okay, this like, again, it was it's fairly obvious that the Devils need help on defense. This is somewhere that they're going to go. And after they went forward with their first two picks, it just seemed logical. I was banking. Like I ended up losing my bet on the number of uh, defensemen going in the first round. I, I took the over at seven and it was six because you just figured that the teams with multiple picks, they were going to take defensemen. And basically every team that had multiple picks took a defenseman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Usually so, that happens. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, you said you liked the picks with the forwards. So what can you tell me about Alexander Holtz that I don't already know? Like, I know that he's the top shooter in the draft, but is he more than just a shot? Because I've, I've seen some clips and people are fawning over his shooting ability. And I see a guy getting the puck on the power play in the OV spot and he handles it two times, and then he snipes it on a five foot ten goalie. And I'm like, NHL goalies don't give that up. So yeah. is is he more than that? Or yeah, no, he's he's great at playmaking too. I think it's just you just mostly notice the shot because he's he's the best essentially shooter goal scorer in the draft. Um, and like we said on the last podcast, I didn't get aired. That was kind of who I was hoping would slide to the Devils. So I mean, I was ecstatic right there. I, was I completely forgot that he was the guy that you really wanted. Yeah. Well, him, earlier when we talked, Raymond was really following down, falling down people's boards. And then once the SHL and KHL season started, everyone's like, oh yeah, this guy's really good. And so he rocketed back up the board. So I was worried I wasn't going to get either Swede by then. Yeah. How infuriated are you that Raymond didn't fall? Would you have rather had <laughs> Raymond? Yeah. Like for me, pretty much all the forwards drafted in the, what would I say? Like, I'd say. Wait, we got to stop at eight. We got to stop at eight because. I'd say three to 10 range are all good. Minus Jack Quinn. I wouldn't have, every other forward, I would have been like, perfect. Okay. So they would have still had a great forward. And what about Dawson Mercer? We saw him at the World Juniors and he filled a role. And, and certainly it seems like anytime you're getting a draft eligible player to get legit minutes at that tournament, especially for Canada, who's, who's always stacked, you're probably looking at a future NHLer. Uh, yeah, I wonder, like I kind of get this feeling that 
he might have sort of almost a lower ceiling but a high floor type player i don't know why it's just it feels like that sort of guy but at the same time then i was like well maybe i should try watching some more of him and no he's got like really good hands flies around the ice i don't know how to explain it he's a good a good sort of big body winger you want to have even though he plays center so i'm just like i don't think the devils will put him at center but well they're loaded at center so I think yeah they really don't need him right but as we've seen from some of the teams that have had a ton of success having more centers than you can handle can be a real advantage like I think San Jose is a perfect example they basically went about their roster by having all these centermen and then they put one right shot and one left shot centerman on every single line and then just wherever the handedness fit them better they would have them take draws on their strong side and it just allowed so much more fluidity and generally speaking you're a better player if you are playing center or you're a smarter player or or a more trustworthy player if you're playing that position so that's where you you just you just draft the best players regardless of forward position and where the chips fall once they're professionals that's that's kind of where it lies but i don't think it's a detriment that he plays center yeah no, I agree. I just, I don't know. I see him more as a whoops, winger for myself. Right. And did you, is there anything else that the Devils did in this draft that people should be excited about? Or were you, is this more the half puke side of things, what they did after the first round? Um, well, like the first two picks are like wicked. Like, uh, it's hard to go, hard to feel kind of down once you get that. So for me, grading anything lower than like in the middle is hard. Um, Shakir at 20 is like, uh, Nico Dawes was an interesting pick in round three. Um, but for me, it was like they didn't want to sort of reach for more of a high boom sort of forward prospect, like one that um, would slip but has a high ceiling, but you don't know if he'll make it. Instead, preferring the more, ah, oh, this guy, if he makes it, he has a higher chance to make it, but if he does, he's maybe at best one of our top AHLers or third line at best, you know? I felt like that's kind of where they drafted mostly. Yeah, and it's really hard to get excited about those types of picks. Because mm-hmm. the later the draft goes to, the less chance any pick has to make it, really. Yeah, it's, you're probably not getting NHL players, so why draft for lower upside? Um, yeah, Pitlick I did like. Um, I think he he seems to be more of the, like, of all their late picks past round one, he's probably the one who would become an NHLer the most out of those for me. But he wouldn't be anything like that would be a big threat on offense. Really, you'd throw it on your power play. Now, you mentioned the Rangers. They had the number one pick, so obviously they did well. But... They traded up for Braden Schneider, and was that was that a kind of a thorn in your side type of pick? Did you did you really want the Devils to end up with a player like that, or do you think that maybe the Rangers hooped themselves of a little bit of value, giving up picks to trade up there? Uh, they only really gave up a third for the player they want. I think they only moved up two spots or four spots. I don't quite remember. Yeah, it was um, a handful of spots. They, yeah, I don't think they really hooped themselves. If they really wanted Schneider, that's fine because. I mean, he's likely, I don't know, who knows if he's even going to be better than 
um, Shakir, but he's still a solid defenseman. Can't go wrong with that. I just don't know how high the offensive ceiling is. The Rangers, they traded Leah Anderson to get some draft capital recouped. Uh, do you think they did well with that trade? And did they end up getting value with the picks that they used after? No, I did not like that trade at all, um, especially with who they got. I wasn't the biggest fan of Will Cole. I can't even say half these names, I swear, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Cull, I'm going to go Cull. Oh, Willie boy, in round two, pick 60. I have to put these all up or I'm never going to remember either. Um, I wasn't the happiest with that because that's just such kind of a downgrade. But then at the same time, it's like, well, Anderson didn't want to play with them anymore. So what good can you get? But then I was like, really? You couldn't get a higher pick or a second next year or anything like that or a player that also doesn't want to be on another one of his teams like Anderson for Honka wouldn't have made sense anything like that yeah I think we fixate on where a player was drafted and we attach these expectations to what that is and it just completely ignores that that's just a very narrow snapshot in time of what the player is and it I mean ultimately Anderson's not first round value and nor is Honka at this point either. And, and nor is a player like Yesapuli who the Oilers were able to get back. So I think at this point, you just, you, you embrace the sunk cost and maybe they didn't uh, draft as high an upside player as you would have liked. But I think that they were prepared to move on and they've got a lot of other high upside options and maybe they got themselves uh, a project there and will coil. Yeah. I just, for me, there was just so many better players they could have taken that were just right there on the board. And they're just like him. And it's like, okay, so you traded him and then went to late second and you took like a player that couldn't even maybe reach Anderson's like mid ground area. I don't know. But like you said, Anderson's capital really went down since he was drafted by the Rangers. So it's hard to really value where other NHL GMs put him. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would think that as a Devils fan, you would have enjoyed the uh, schadenfreude of that situation. Yeah, it was fun. As a Devils fan, I actually don't hate the Rangers, though. Um, well, how do you not Rangers, hate the Rangers? I mostly just hate because I'm stuck around all Canadian teams. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, I think that's <laughs> it's on like, you then. Yeah. I'm trained to hate these other teams, but I decided to like my own team instead of the city where I'm from. So the Washington Capitals, they scarcely ever have first round picks, but when they do, they sure seem to nail those picks. They took a real flyer on a player with a, a troubling injury history, but just a fantastic hockey name in Hendrix Lafayette. <laughs> Yeah, um, there were two sides of that for me because they went from 24 to 22. But um, as the Capitals writer here at Dauber Prospects, there's like not a lot of interesting players for forward that have like high offense. They always just, when I talked about the Devils, pretty much grabbing like the lower ceiling pick, the Capitals are kings of that after like round one. They're just like, this guy, he's could be a third liner let's get him so their system is full of like a couple high-end guys and then just almost the same type of player 
especially for forward. But I love the Lafayette pick. I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. So that made up for it. But then at the same time, they lost pick 80. And for a team that needs like offense in the cupboards, that kind of was like, well, I didn't, I was like, it's good and bad. Well, if they're the type of team that takes low upside swings later in the draft anyway, then I wonder if them really keying in on a player that they wanted when they are so strong at take, with their first rounders that it doesn't ultimately work out for them. Like, I wonder, was this, was this the right point in time to take Lapierre? Because honestly, watching the broadcast, I was ready to strangle Jeff Merrick when he kept talking about how <laughs> Lapierre was dropping. I was like, is he dropping? Is he? <laughs> and would anyone be thinking about this? It was one of the only drafts where kids are at home. They're in the safety of their home. They're not at some spectacle, just sitting there watching, like praying that they're going to get picked. Yeah. And the, with cameras folk honing in on them, like they didn't have to do that. It was, it was completely this narrative of him dropping that it seemed like Merrick had made up on his own. <laughs> And I just, I just felt so horrible for the kid. I'm like, what if he falls to round two because the medical wasn't good and you're just making this completely outrageous situation that that didn't need to be uncomfortable. Yeah. At least he's not, I guess, waiting behind the screen and gets picked at 31. So, but yeah. Yeah. Like the kids, the kids in the NBA draft who they only invite so many to the green room. And then if you don't get picked, <laughs> you're the, the only guy left in the room. You're like Phil Kessel at the fantasy draft. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. like a completely awful situation. I know. And I never really thought of that because they're watching it live or are they watching the same feed we are? Cause if they were, I'm sure they would have been pretty annoyed with how long it took or all the commercials. Um, but yeah, to hear like, Oh, you're dropping. It's like, well, great. Thanks Jeff. But yeah. And I, I love Merrick. I just, that, that, absolutely annoyed me. <laughs> yeah do i think he was a great snag at 22 and could he easily outproduce his draft slot uh yeah i do i'm pretty excited that the capitals decided to like load up with another skilled forward so now i have him and mcmichael to watch yeah what's your forecast for those two going forward uh well it's tough with the capitals because they're stuck with basically what i keep looking at when you look at their cat friendly page they have 11 one-way contracts all locked up for like three years and the only two that are coming off the books for next year are vrana and ovechkin so there is no room so it and they signed all these like four bottom six players to like three-year deals it just kind of infuriated me because they just wanted to have a top six that scores and a bottom six that uh checks and is really good two-way and you see when you need scoring you need your top six to score and if they're having a bad night well you don't have any other scoring throughout your lineup and mcmichael would be a perfect person to slot in even second line on the wing or i think what gets bandied around in the capital circles on twitter i follow is more mcmichael at center and move kuznetsov to the wing which has an interesting take to it too, because then they can just swap for face-offs or everything like that, which is what you talked about with the San Jose model. So, but um, yeah, I love that Caps have McMichael. I just don't know when he's going to get a legit NHL shot. Well, I'd have to think that the next time there's a training camp, he'll probably force his way in. And well, you just think about the way that 
I mean, it's going to be a new coaching staff there in Washington. So we'll see what the new coaching staff has to say about the timeline that young prospects get brought along at. But generally speaking, we've seen them really slow play the way that they bring talented prospects along. Yeah, yeah Verano was probably their best five-on-five five guy last season, and he yeah. spent way too much time playing in the bottom six. Yeah, no, I know him and Burakovsky both, and then they moved Burakovsky when I was like, please don't move Burakovsky, and then, yeah. Well, and what a what a tour de force he was in the playoffs for Colorado when he was asked to step up in the lineup. So there's definitely some untapped potential there for him, even in Colorado, let alone what uh, he was in Washington. But they did win a Stanley Cup with those guys playing in yeah. the bottom of the roster. So those flags fly forever. And I do think that there's, you, you don't want to follow the Edmonton model, right? Like you don't <laughs> want to, you don't want to just hand these kids jobs. And then when they don't learn how to play a complete game, you're you trash them in the media face. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But capital just get older plus that year that they won the cup isn't that the one thing you keep putting out on twitter with goals for percentage didn't they have the lowest one when they won the cup yeah they're the only team in basically forever that had a goals for percentage below 52.5 so you could in essence say that they are the weakest team to win a stanley cup basically ever and but that's also a team that they had presumably one well a couple of holes and one was on defense that they filled rather cheaply and the other one was in goal where Braden Holtby was playing terribly and then he turned into a brick wall for the playoffs so yeah goaltending is voodoo I think we can also agree that they pretty much deserved it after getting destroyed in playoffs by insane goaltending when their goaltending wouldn't hold up so I mean deserve, me, it's like they deserved it deserve is such a tough word in the game of hockey because it, it just seems like it's these things turn on a trifle and what you deserve it just it doesn't always seem to add up well did you watch their parties i think they deserved it <laughs> well i think we deserved to watch the party that yeah. they, they put forward however I, i'm just i'm glad they I'm glad Ovechkin got one and it, it, it completely, it solidifies his legacy. We no longer have to ask those questions. It's interesting because Ovechkin wins that cup and it, it changes the narrative about him. And for, thankfully, ne yeah, never, never more will there be questions about him, but no, Steven, no. Steven Stamkos, he wins a cup with the lightning this year, but he basically didn't win the, like he played, four shifts or whatever he scored a goal yeah. in the cup final but like I, I don't think that him the 2020 stanley cup is going to be one of the first things that you mention with regard to stamkos when we're looking back on his career and i just i think oh man like this guy has been so star-crossed the number of times like he gets injured at the olympics yeah. and so like he gets a gold medal but like does anyone really think that he has a gold medal like he's just had so many near misses and he's had all these terrible injuries and i just you I feel know, it's bad crazy for the to guy. think how often he gets hurt it's like because you don't think that he gets hurt that often then you're like wait there were those two years where he basically played 20 games and yeah and this whole playoffs which 
the Capitals now seem to, I mean, not the Capitals, sorry, the Lightning seem to want to trade him now, which makes sense because he didn't really help them win a cup on the ice in the locker room probably, but they're probably like, hey, we could win this without him. Yeah, I mean, they basically did. And it's just, it's with where they're at cap wise, you just have to, you have to kick every tire and see what shakes loose. And from the sounds of it, he gave a couple of teams. Yeah, he gave them a couple of teams that he would consider it. And it doesn't look like any of that's going to fall through. So they're they're closest to the cap, right? Yeah, (laughs) they're going to figure something out. And he's probably going to be there a long time and maybe they'll win another one. And this legacy story will be completely changed. It'll be a footnote rather than maybe one of the first things we talk about is how he didn't really participate in that cup win, but uh, we're, we're talking draft here. Yes. I was going to be like, let's get back to the capitals for a second. Um, I think maybe they traded up just because of how well Alexi protest protest looks in the third round who they grabbed last year. So I'm thinking that's maybe why they thought they could use the extra pick to move up. I just wasn't a fan of it for, like I said, a team that needs those kind of protests players later in the draft. They should have kept it. And really for me, when I like went through it, I was like, it was just like average player, average player, average player. And then they took, um, and round seven, they took Oscar Magnuson. And I was like, holy, did they just decide to change and be like, this guy has a super, well, has a high ceiling. Who knows if he'll make it, but he's really skilled. And I, I just, that one kind of blew me away. Well, I, I'm with glad the they penguins did. to do it too. Yeah. I, I'm glad that they did something to get you excited. I want to, <laughs> I want to focus in on, uh, on Lapierre a little bit more because okay. I just, I find these trade up trade down situations utterly fascinating because there there's a these real fork in the road moments that when you look back on the draft you're either looking back and you're thinking oh my god the Leafs traded up to get Tyler Biggs and then the Anaheim Ducks selected <laughs> well, different management there and different John management. Gibson right but I, I'm just saying like you you look back and you're like oh my god that's horrible but then there are other drafts where in 2003 the New Jersey Devils, they trade up with Edmonton and they get Zach Parise and Edmonton comes out of the best draft ever with <laughs> Marc-Antoine Pouliot and one yeah. of the only guys who didn't pan out in that draft class. And you just sit there and you shake your head and I don't know what the right answer is. Certainly you have to trust whatever list it is that you're putting together. And if you think that there's this bona fide top line type player out there and you're really worried that that player is going to go then I, you could trade your whole draft class and if you get that one player and that player is what you think that he is then it's worth it mm-hmm. so for me with with how well they've done in the first round i don't hate them trading up if they've really identified that talent and if the injury, like, it sounds like the injuries are the only concern here. Yeah. And also, like they said on the Sportsnet broadcast, too, it was like three concussions in 10 months, but he said one concussion and two were issues with his neck, which I'm thinking, like, remember when Sidney Crosby had that issue with his neck, but it wasn't a concussion and everyone was really confused? I'm thinking it might have been the same thing as that. But yeah, I was reminded of that situation as well. I, I wonder with Lapierre, what is he? 
you don't think he's going to make the lineup anytime soon. Uh, there's no but, room too. So, <laughs> right. But it's going to take him at right. least two years, especially because the caps love to wait. But what's the upside there? Because at, at some point this team is going to end up looking like the Detroit Red Wings <laughs> where yeah. all their players just age out. So a guy like Lapierre could be that bridge to the next good caps routine yeah um thankfully the caps have always been a really good team at drafting in the first round like their only miss in the last i think 10 years was pretty much just uh lucas johansson so far and he only missed because of injuries basically derailed him yeah however in the future it is going to be the your whole top line might just be Mick, Michael, Lapierre, and Vrana just there. They'll probably ship Kuznetsov out by then. Thankfully, their defense is very well stocked, but they might be a Detroit team for a year or two. I don't see it be lasting that long, but I guess you never know. Well, the contracts that they have some of their players on do last that long, so that's, that's yeah. why I say that. <laughs> Oh yeah, they are gonna kind of age out. Thankfully, Backstrom's the type of player that, um, you know, those pass-first centers that are really good defensively. They don't seem to ever just crater on offense. They just kind of go slowly down, like seventy-five to seventy to sixty-five to sixty-three to sixty, kind of slows down. The Joe Thornton model. Yeah, but um, I, don't, I don't know if I really see. I don't know. There should be a good enough transition period, but with how much they also don't like draft picks, it might not be the best. It might be a team full of like third liners with that top line I mentioned before. And it could be a winning strategy. Who, who knows? Um, changing gears here. So we talked about the surprise that was the New Jersey's devil's pick at 20 right before that Columbus takes Yegor Chinnikov and that was that yeah. was the <laughs> oh moment of the draft, and that's where we we really missed having that live audience because I can only imagine the oohs and ahs that would have rung out when everyone's just I have no idea who that is, <laughs> especially because he might not have even been there. Oh, I I highly doubt that he would have been. Yeah, I don't know how it works, um, but yeah, no that that surprised me. My favorite thing was on Sportsnet when they're like, uh who's this? And then, yeah, if you read Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts today, he said the story of that uh, Mike Fuda guy was like, why, or he says, if a player like this goes so off the board, the GMs look at their scouts and they go, why wasn't he on our board? So I think that's kind of a idea right there, but it did surprise me. I don't really know what else to add. I was like, huh? Okay. I, I kind of trust Columbus though in this way. Like they're not, I think they have pretty good scouts in Europe and Russia, but I just, I don't know why you wouldn't trade down to get them sort of like devils at number 20, why you just don't kind of trade down. Yeah. It, maybe there just wasn't the market for the trade down. A, a lot of trades and stuff like that are relationships and the like. So you wonder if there wasn't something, well, the flames GM, tree living he's in on everything so I, i'm yeah. sure that played a part in why they were the team that the trade down happened with and maybe the fact that columbus and new jersey are division rivals that also played into things for the rangers 
trading up to get ahead of them. Yeah. And yeah, with the pick, Columbus, this is the fourth straight year that they've nabbed a player out of the MHL. And it seems like they've got players in some of the other guys. Like they took Marchenko a couple of years ago. I think last year it was Veronkov. Mm-hmm. And four years ago, it was um, Daniil Tarasov, who they, they've got a goalie factory, but everyone seems to yeah. think like he is the best one out of all of them. So I guess you kind of have to trust that they have some idea of what they were doing with that pick. And certainly there's, there's a couple of North Americans that I would have taken ahead of them, ahead of him there, but I didn't see him play. So who knows? And (laughs) I, I, I I do wonder if there's, there's gotta be no way that pick would have been made if this draft happens in June, like the steam that he has gotten from playing well this year has to have played a role. I know he is an overager too. So that's kind of also what threw everyone off because he could have been drafted last year. So it's like, if you like this player that much, why didn't you just draft him the year before in round seven, then you give yourself an extra first round pick here. Well, I've got an answer to that. Oh, and the answer is they traded just about all of their picks last year in their all in attempt. So they had like three (laughs) picks. They were, they were like the Arizona coyotes of this yeah. year's draft last year like they didn't pick till the fourth round and they had barely any picks so maybe they would have liked to have picked him and they couldn't or maybe they're just stumbling upon him now over the last year and now he's getting all this steam and they're like what first rounder we got to do it like they had him inside their top 10 i find that really hard to believe because yeah. this year's top 10 was obscene like there's no way that they had him <laughs> every ahead, team ahead of that. seth jarvis there's yeah, no way I- Every team has that. But also in 2019, they took Tyler Angle in the seventh round. So, I mean. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. That's an angle they had to take. Uh, hey, yo. I was going to say maybe he's the son of Kurt Angle and they're big wrestling fans. <laughs> Are you a big wrestling fan? Is that, uh, is that no, one of your things? I no? used to be. Oh, okay. I used to be. And then I just was like, I can't do it anymore. You you were no longer allowed to smell what the rock was cooking. So <laughs> well, he you... left to go do movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. He left so you couldn't smell what he was cooking. Yeah. Now being in Alberta, you, you love the hearts, and once they were all gone, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. So I mentioned Seth Jarvis very briefly there. Those fucking jerks in Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> One pick ahead yeah. of the Oilers. The kid I had my heart set on my favorite player in this draft they nailed him at 13 seth jarvis what a pick i think uh, i think they walked away with a a real good one there and then they just took high upside swing yeah they just take upside swing yeah i was like you can't carolina's drafting now you just look at who they draft and go okay i want to draft this guy really late in my keeper league draft if i have the room because they just grab all the high upside players you can it's yeah and it's a strategy a that I buy into. I've, yeah. Like I was joking with Joel Henderson that maybe their entire, like they don't even pay scouts because Tom Dundon's reportedly cheap, but apparently they do <laughs> have scouts, but it sure seems like they could just outsource their whole scouting department and instead follow public draft lists because that's a lot of what their draft list ended up looking like. Yeah, I know they're quite data heavy, so maybe that's also what they do. But to say he's cheap is to forget that he invested like 70% into an arena football league that then cratered in like seven months. So don't forget that. 
Yeah, but maybe he's <laughs> trying to follow the Trump model. So <laughs> I don't even know what model that is. Just run around and yell. What? I don't want to get into it too deep. Yeah, but, let's not uh, get political on here. You're going to get death threats. Once upon a time, Donald Trump was a heavy investor in a football league that, well, it had, oh, more, XFL? It had, it had more success than uh, the XFL did. Oh. Um, I don't remember if you remember the USFL. No. Okay. I'm so not a football person. So, yeah. There, There's a fantastic documentary all about the usfl they actually had it was a spring football league similar to what some of these uh other leagues have have attempted to do and they actually managed by paying obscene sums of money to players one of the 49ers quarterbacks they ended up getting him out of there they got some of the absolute top picks uh coming out of college to play there and they played i think they had a handful of seasons anyways Trump really wanted to own an NFL team and they wouldn't let him in. So he joined this USFL and then he kind of like <laughs> took it over and derailed it and it ended up folding. And I think they sued the NFL over monopoly rights or I can't remember exactly how it was, but they ended up getting cut a check for like 10 cents <laughs> was what the settlement was or, or something like an absolutely disgustingly low sum of money. <laughs> yeah. And worth like less than the paper it's printed on. Exactly. And it's, it's a fantastic 30 for 30 documentary that I highly recommend you watch because it's uh it's certainly entertaining and it gives you just a touch of insight on, um, on what went down with uh, a burgeoning rogue league. That's cool. And Trump is involved, so how can you not want to watch? <laughs> yeah, it's it's always interesting. But yeah, back to Carolina. <laughs> yeah. So Segway. No, they, every pick is just amazing. You just look at it and you're like, okay, I guess the one that it's like they're all just good picks. I don't know how Passion just went in the seventh round, but then that makes you think like, okay, well, if he went in the seventh round, is there really something wrong with him? Like I had him more in the two range maybe three and then it's like seven you're like okay what am i missing something here or is everyone else missing something i think i, I think the mhl has got to be the hardest league to scout yeah like I'm, I'm sure there's like some georgian hockey roller skating leagues that are not <laughs> getting heavily scouted either but <laughs> yeah, i feel like yeah, i feel like among only the a leagues few among There's the leagues a... that are getting heavily scouted, the MHL, I feel like no one knows what they're seeing. Yeah, because it's like only I think a couple teams are really good and every other team like couldn't beat a double A like Bantam team in like North America. So it's just, and then they get brought up and sent down and then brought to the VHL and then brought back up to the KHL for one minute shift and then back down to the MHL and it's just a roller coaster all over. It's gotta be the hardest one to scout for sure. And that's how these players end up going in the seventh or they end up going undrafted and they become first rounders the next year. So, I mean, if Carolina doesn't take him, he very well could be a first rounder next year, especially because people aren't as stoked on next year's draft as they were about this one. Yeah, that I find that always happens. You ever notice that once it ramps up to the start of the draft, it's like all these players are amazing and then keeper leagues go nuts and yeah. Yeah, I think that this year especially, and I haven't, started to see the excitement for next year's draft that 
normally starts coming about. I don't know. I, I had this draft specifically circled for a very long time. And it's one of the reasons I, I really aligned myself to be in a position to have lottery picks for this draft, because I just, I thought it was going to be a really good one. And it yeah. feels like it was. No, I, I get the same thing. 2020, I think it might also deal with this whole pandemic thing, pushing everything back for 2021. Cause then we're still watching these kids play like, come on, someone draft them. They're still awesome. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to get on the next boat when you're still watching the old crew. Well, and apparently it's like very defenseman heavy and you're not going to get me excited about that. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a I'm couple the... good forwards in there, but yeah, I'm the guy who went all in on forwards in the defense heavy 2018 draft. <laughs> what was the 2018 draft like i get so that was, was uh player? that was Darlene. oh okay yeah yeah so did you get svechnikov yes perfect yeah i <laughs> took him yeah um moving on from carolina <laughs> yeah because carolina is hard to talk about just look at any player they put that was like the best player you could take in that spot and then move on. Like in the ramblings I was writing for today, they're basically my winners because it's like anyone you look at is like, okay, this is the top player who should have been picked there. Carolina just goes, yep, check, next. And they just wait. And then yeah, an amazing player follows them. They go, okay, get this guy. And you're just like, okay. And they got Svechnikov in yep. that defense-heavy 2018 draft. And he looks like he's going to be the next breakout superstar forward. Oh yeah. I love Sveshnikov. I got him in my pools too, but he's also just so much fun to watch. Yeah. Just a super entertaining player. Um, but yeah, moving on from them, uh, Philadelphia, they ended up with an intriguing draft. I would say they, they picked a few names that I plucked off of um, public lists. Um, really, I think a polarizing prospect in the first round in, in Tyson Forrester where, I mean, I, I got to ask the same question I did with Holtz, where is he just a shot or is he something more than that? Um, he wasn't the person I really looked at that much. So I was kind of surprised when he went, I was like, oh, okay. Like he could have been in the second round maybe for me. And maybe that's worse to say, <laughs> but I mean, it's not like he's bad. It's just, I was just like, oh, I never was really watching him all that much. So I don't really know all what to say. Like he's a good pick. I can't argue. Yeah. What what did you think about the rest of their draft? Is there did they do anything that you were really excited about or really unexcited about? Uh I like the and Emil Andre. I was like, that's a solid pick. Like they just had like a good draft, not like an amazing draft and not a bad draft, just another solid good draft. Like they always seem to do. They always just seem to have not like the best draft, but always just a super solid draft. They seem to walk away with future NHL players almost every draft. Like right now, I think they signed Zade Wisdom to a three-year deal or ELC today. And whenever that happens for a later pick prospect, that always gets my attention. Yeah, that's got to be super exciting that you're really that high on a player to looking to get them into your system that fast. Yeah, especially, I think, yeah, he was picked in the fourth round, and then they just signed him today, and it was like, whoa, okay. 
So like, am I missing something here? Like they are that happy they got them, but this is the team that also just signed Zamula. So they know what they're doing. Yeah. They've got one of the most loaded prospect pools going, but it's not like they haven't whiffed on first rounders in the past. You can think yeah. of German Rubsov, who he may very well become a player, but he was picked in a similar range as Tyson Forster and he sure hasn't panned out as of yet. Now, if he does turn into an NHL player, like we talked about with Shakir, he's that's a successful pick, but it's not necessarily what you want. Yeah. For him, for me, it's mostly injuries. Cause he was a guy that was an injury risk to draft him and they drafted him and then he just kept getting hurt. So it's like, this is a problem. We take sort of injury prone players or players who are just super unlucky. Like maybe they're just freak injuries every time. Sort of like, nolan patrick right like he's sort of the same sort of there are always injury issues and then you're not going to see a migraine condition ruin his whole year yeah that's been a real headache for him ah, you're good on the puns yeah. i should have um, brought a pun list i would have <laughs> been more ready right um so pittsburgh was their strategy just we're gonna take some goalies and see what happens <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't really know what to add with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's just like, yeah, okay, we'll do with the three picks we have and just pick players. And usually they pick good ones in like the second round. You're always just like, huh. Well, they're going to grab that player that drops. This year they're like, we'll just take some goalies and then hopefully they pan out. I feel like they, they took a similar shotgun approach to goaltending when they ended up taking Tristan Jari. And if I'm not mistaken, they also took Matt Murray in that same draft class. So they suddenly loaded up their prospect pool with these guys who could come along and it paid off for them in spades. It's it's they've covered their goaltending for five, six years now with those picks and Jari signed for a couple more years. So it's going to be a couple more years of that draft approach paying off. And I, I don't know if these goalies are going to show up by the time, <laughs> you know, yeah. Malkin and Crosby and Latang are still playing or at the tail end of their prime or anything like that. But maybe it's uh, those guys are the bridge to, again, the, the next tier. Back-to-back superstars in drafts again, like elite superstars back-to-back again for Pittsburgh. Like, come on, guys, just have one. Well, but it, it, you got to load up those superstars. <laughs> that's, that's the way to uh, turn yourself into a championship-level team. Yeah, but Pittsburgh's honestly, I think they've been pretty underrated in their drafting success for how often they never have a first round pick. Like they've had good players, like, well, Sprong, who has recently moved to the Caps, who's a player who I think the Caps would put in ahead of McMichael. So he's going to wait longer, but they have to put him in the right spot. They can't just put Sprong in like the fourth line and be like okay hey, score oh you're not scoring with jim dowd and richard panic that's it back to the ahl with you but now, i think pittsburgh is always really good at like just finding someone in the second round third round that's always just ends up being a good player it's kind of weird because they did they got gensel in the third round one year um addison well, yeah. they traded to minnesota they just always seem to get like a good player it's weird yeah pittsburgh's ability to find some unspectacular fourth line player playing for like a second tier college and have them turn into a first line forward with Crosby (laughs) is unparalleled. 
but yeah. I know uh, no other team can say that. Hey, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I do think that it's. Um, <laughs> I, I I do think that they have done well with very little, and I think it's a testament to their uh, their player development. Really, it seems like yeah. all these players that come up, it's they did a few years down in Wilkesbury and they come up and they're ready to contribute and it's interesting because they had all these no-name players that were really buying into their system and then they got healthy in time for the bubble playoffs and none of those players got to play and suddenly they were not the team that looked like a playoff contender in the middle of the season yeah they really look like they did not well, they looked both insanely frustrated by Montreal and then also like, okay, we don't want to be here now. Yeah, there's. I think there was a certain element to Montreal just just being more desperate than they were. Um, For sure. The New York Islanders, they were another one of those teams who had almost no picks. Did they do anything of note for you? Because I've got nothing. No, I put them on my loser list for today because... There's not much you can do if you once you start at pick 90. And then, like, for me, I'd still want them to pick more high upside players. And none of the players who they picked are players I'm, like, excited about. I don't have good analysis for the Islanders. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what you do there because they just – they didn't have the picks. And it, it'll be years before we have any idea whether those – few picks that they did make are going to be strong or not. I didn't realize you had done winners or losers. So maybe like you, you mentioned that Carolina is your big winner and maybe the Islanders are your big loser. Do you have any other losers? Um, well, in the ramblings, it's from picks two to seven is what I decided to focus on. Cause last week I did round one, but my other losers were, well, the Rangers just cause I really do not like the Anderson trade. Tampa because again like um, Islanders there's no one I was really impressed with and usually they're a really good drafting team so I mean I could just be overlooking some amazing talent but I mean I was okay with Finley and Groshev but I was about it Nashville I put them on my loser list because like the Capitals they need to get forwards up front that are exciting and can score like that's one of the most frustrating things once any player goes to Nashville they just 60 point forward max who is the last forward that they draft and developed and they panned out like kevin fiala and victor yeah. arvidson is that yeah, it i think that's a yeah that's pretty much about it unless and tolvanen still has a chance but it doesn't seem like they want to put him in the lineup to get a chance and then does he have a chance players in a way i think he would like he's a player who even if he's not the best skater you set him up on your power play and just snipe the goals but their power but, play sucks though. Yeah, but couldn't he help that then? <laughs> uh, maybe. It's uh um, but they've got to set up their defensemen for bombs from the point. So I, I yeah. don't see how that helps them. They should have just ran like four defensemen when they had Suban there too. Should have just been Yossi, Ellis, Suban, and Ekholm, and then plus a center. I think they should have just not accepted power plays. <laughs> that we too. will play four on four. Yeah, I also maybe to Cam Chagrin put Vancouver on it, but that's only because they drafted super late and no one really exciting. Um, I really didn't like Ottawa's draft, especially with how many picks they had to not like to walk away mostly underwhelmed after Stutzel. I was just like, okay. 
and then Arizona because it's tough for Arizona after losing the second round pick. Yeah, I could not believe that Arizona didn't find a way to trade back into the draft where they literally lost draft picks for illegally testing prospects. Like, don't you want to put that testing data to good use now that you've been punished <laughs> for it? Like, tra- well, maybe trade in the- and put it to use. Maybe all the players they had are really high-end players that tested well that we don't know about. But I was kind of surprised that they still took the picks away from them in the end because when the Devils got dinged for the Kovalchuk thing, they gave the later pick back even though Lamorella wasted it. And yeah, they gave the picks back in the end just because new management. And I assume you'd want to keep these new, well, not management, owners. These new owners of the Coyotes happy and now it seems like they're going to re-rebuild again. Yeah, I think one of the things that happened with the Devils getting their pickback situation is that they changed the rule, right? Like they closed the yeah. loophole. So they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, here's your pickback, whatever. <laughs> Whereas from my understanding, teams heard about this illegal testing and were furious and were like, okay, if there's no teeth to this, if it's just like fines, then we're just all going to go out and do it. Like they were asking, okay, so how much, like, how much can we get fined if we do this a bunch of times? And the yeah. NHL's like, oh, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not fucking gonna happen. We are, yeah. we are stopping this dead in its tracks. So instead, they came with tremendous teeth. Now you suggested that maybe they picked all these players with high upside that we aren't aware of because of their testing. I wonder if instead they tested all these players and they're like, mm, nope, not athletes. So they traded their picks. Yeah, maybe. Maybe everyone in this draft is not a good athlete. After the first round that they traded for Hall. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the secret that we're missing. Or <laughs> no, I've got I got nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna be like, I, I I was just mostly I think you're right. There's I should say a lot of their scouting department um was from an CHL team that is known to do the same sort of thing. So I'm just assuming that they thought it was the same. But yeah. That does make sense. I didn't think about it that way. Because then other teams are like, hey, can we just do it too? But then I'm just like, how much does testing tell you? Aside from if you can't do a chin-up, you can't be a very good NHLer. Well, I think that there's there's got to be, yeah, that ridiculous <laughs> story. Like, I, I'm not sure that um, that the way that we do the draft combine is the way that necessarily you want to be doing your draft testing. Like, I don't know that they're necessarily finding out the right biometrics. And I'm sure there's lots of teams that once they go through that process, they have their own secret sauce to things, but I don't think it's like the NFL combine where there's specific tests where you can really be like, Oh no, like this guy, this linebackers got a great three cone. So we know he's going to be able to move in space. And that, tells us that we should draft this player whereas yeah. like I, I just don't think we have the the right tests for the way that we do the combine and maybe maybe that's what teams want like they they really they just want the combine to get the medical and find out where players are have like serious deficiencies and what they need to work on and where the injury risk is yeah for sure but especially with nhl players being such good athletes now it's kind of I wonder what they can find out, like you say. It's probably much easier for NFL because like you're running on turf versus an NHL rookie jumping high. Well, so the the thing for me that would be really interesting is 
I, I was listening to this podcast uh, a while back and it was it was all about this coach in baseball who he takes these pitchers who don't throw very fast but have the ability to throw faster and he basically he gets them to throw these like balls that are way too heavy for them to like be able to throw with anything but perfect technique and it forces them to relearn these motor pathways in order to be able to throw with way better technique and i wonder if there isn't some way that you could identify these athletes that have like tremendous power or strength that could be shooting way harder or could be skating with way more power and, and and dynamism and if there isn't a way that they could be testing for that and then using that data to figure out a way to get them into biomechanics that take advantage of their full potential like i'm sure there's a bunch of players that are just absolutely farm strong and skate like they're in mud because they just don't have good technique and you know skating coaches are going to be able to help you with that but i wonder if there isn't a secret sauce to identifying that aspect and figuring out a way to get more like identify the players that you actually can get more out of like a Braden point who didn't skate well in his draft year and yeah. turn them into a fantastic skater I, I i wonder if that isn't out there and if teams aren't doing it then maybe they should yeah that's got to be hard to find too though right because you can be really strong and then like you said what does strength on the ice do for you other than maybe win a board battle? But then the second you start to skate up a faster player, just boom, gets it right off your stick. Well, that's where I'm thinking. Like you just, you test for explosiveness and then you say, okay, this, like this kid, he's explosive as all hell, but like he skates, like he's got two left feet. So yeah. if we <laughs> like, this is a player that we could key in on because if we do teach him what his right foot looks like, then suddenly we've got this player who's going to be super explosive and he can suddenly skate with that power. And now we've found this hidden gem. Yeah. Skating is definitely, it's always seems to be the number one thing they always have to work on. I find is skating. Yeah. As, as it turns out, it's this incredibly discreet skill that has almost no carryover to any other sport. Yeah. And that's what makes hockey such a, niche and and challenging sport and then if your hands match up to your brains like mcdavid it just blows everyone out of the water and you can't do anything against them yeah he's a freak he's the fastest kid alive yeah or if you're dion Phaneuf and your hockey iq is not as good as the rest of your motor skills and you kind of drop off the cliff a little faster yeah absolutely and i don't know that's that's what the scouts are for right yeah <laughs> But yeah, I find that it's like, you can teach better skating. You can't teach better smarts. And then when they're like size, you know, size always gets drafted over um, skill. I always find like the smaller skilled players, they don't have size. You can't teach size. It's like, well, but you can teach a shorter skilled player to be more stronger down low. Well, that's, that's the Marco Rossi thing, right? Like he, yeah. there's no one better in this draft class at leveraging and he's, maybe the logical heir to leg day from <laughs> Martin St. Louis, because that, yeah. that kid's got legs that put mine to absolute shame. And I'm, <laughs> I'm super jealous of, uh, of what he's got going on there, but uh, it's, was, it's a product so, of his hard work. So 
I mean, yeah. full credit to him, right? I was going to say the perfect example in this draft um, was with Montreal. It picks 47 and 48. So 47, they take Luke Tuck, who's like, he's good. He's a big player. Like he's skilled, but maybe his skating won't match up over time and he could easily just flame out and not make it or just go the fourth line. And then right after they pick Jan Mysak, who has tremendous skill, but he's also smaller. So it's like, you still get the big guy ahead of the little guy. I think that's just the perfect thing to kind of match up how NHL GMs, most NHL GMs look. Uh, but Pat, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let you go here, but you've been super generous with your time on this one. We've, uh, we've gone in a few oddball directions and <laughs> the folks at home missed our preamble conversation about cheese whiz. So yeah. Um, sorry for that folks at home and, um, yeah, Pat, while, while, uh, I've got you here, why don't you plug some stuff? Well, they should already be all following Dauber prospects anyway, especially to get all this information, but yeah, I pretty much normally write the ramblings. I think it's just down to me. Everyone just writes feature stories. So you still got me for ramblings even. So you're stuck with me if they're good or not, but they're all good. So don't worry everyone. And then I guess my Twitter. Yeah, that's uh, at FHP Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N. Um, I'm pretty hilarious. So that's the best thing about following my Twitter. Okay, we'll make sure we read your ramblings over at Dauber Prospects and we'll give you a follow on Twitter. Pat, this was excellent. We broke down the Metro. We talked about your half puke, half fantastic New Jersey Devils. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on and I'm glad this time it worked. All right, everyone, that is our show. Stick tap to Pat Quinn from Dauber Prospects for coming on the podcast and enlightening us about the Metro division. Stick tap to you for listening all the way to the end. Do that like, subscribe, and review thing wherever you get your podcasts. Really help out the podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one.